Hey guys, this is Fiorella Nira. Welcome to the Planner and Training Podcast. you're doing well we just chatted not too long ago and i had to bring you back oh thanks super excited so shannon um even though some people had already heard the podcast from a couple weeks ago can you tell me a little about yourself and what you do and we can yeah yeah so my name is shannon tarrant and i own a local wedding venue resource in central florida called wedding venue map um, where people can find all of our local wedding venues um, some of the off the beaten path ones as well as the most popular ones and search sort find venues and vendors and be able to connect couples with the business side of weddings. And I also do a lot of um, small business consulting, really focused on the wedding and event industry, um, doing a lot of what we like to call education, helping <laughs> coaching, teaching, training, both venues and vendors on ways to grow their business and be more profitable. And so a lot of those clients that you coach are wedding venues, right? Yes, a lot of, I mean, venues is my background. I spent five years in catering, off-site catering, which meant I got to jump in and out of venues all over town. Um, but I also then worked at a wedding venue as a uh, sales and marketing manager for five years. That's amazing. And I think when that when I thought about this, I just thought, I got to email her back because I think this is a topic that comes up so much in my neck of the woods. And so yeah, so that's why we're here. So today we're talking about venue sales and best practices from generating inquiries all the way to contracting or getting into a contract with a client. So if you don't mind, I'm ready. If you're ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So the first step is to gener is generating inquiries. So what have you seen that is the best practices there? Or perhaps there's places where we are not even looking into when generating inquiries for venues. I think probably one of the biggest challenges um, from a venue standpoint, especially in my region, is that, you know, unfortunately, couples aren't always hiring the planner before they pick the venue. Sure. So it's you're really kind of the top of the food chain when it comes to couples finding you. So as a venue, you tend to have to invest a little bit more on the advertising side than maybe some other businesses in the wedding and event industry, because those businesses can rely a little bit more heavily on referrals sure. than um, the venues do, because most of the time, by the time they get to the photographer, they already have the venue. So really looking at your marketing plan from a standpoint of where to put the limited, you know, we all have limited marketing budgets. So where is the best place to invest them, whether it's in online listings, whether it's, you know, um, with sites like The Knot and uh, Wedding Wire, or if you have a local blog, like we have a local blog here called Orange Blossom Bride or my site, Wedding Venue Map. Um, so whether it's doing it online, participating in wedding shows, but you have to find a way really to lead generate um, and really just kind of putting out a website and hoping that it's going to come from a venue standpoint is not going to work. <laughs> okay. And do do you find that venues do get referrals, though, even though they're not? Yeah, 
I mean, I think they do. I think that, you know, when I worked at a venue, most of the referrals we would get were like at wedding shows. When we were at a show, um, we would find that, you know, a couple would be talking to a photographer across the room and the photographer would ask what's your venue and they'd say no and they'd send them over. So even if we weren't at the show, we always saw an increase in referrals after a wedding show happened. So I definitely think there's still the opportunity for referrals. Um, from building great relationships with vendors and getting out there networking and showing your venue um, so that it's, you know, people's top of mind and being active on social media. But I think that what one of the challenges I see is a lot of venues are really relying on that. And I think a, a decent amount of business you maybe could get each year from that, but it's not really going to allow for the growth and maybe hitting the kind of numbers you'd like to hit without, investing in some other places that are really going to get you lists of leads that you could actually go work. Yeah. And so when talking about generating these inquiries and perhaps creating a a must-have list, what are the top three things that venues should have in their marketing checklist to generate inquiries? Yeah, I think I fully believe in, you know, there's a reason why the knot and wedding wire are as big as they are. And I think that you should find whichever site works for you. Um, but I think you should be on one of them. I think that a lot of couples really do start their wedding planning on these sites. They rank on the top of Google for every single category, no matter where you are in the country. So I think you should choose one of the um, online, you know, online listings somewhere because they do lead generate. And I always highly suggest wedding shows because I think that a lot of couples when they don't really know where to start the process or they just get engaged, it's something that if locally you've got a decent market for it, um, you know, find uh, and ask around, ask other vendors, what shows do they do that they like and why do they like one over the other? Um, but if nothing else, you should be doing it in like January to March, which is considered engagement season. But you should definitely throw a show, at least one show a year in there. Okay. And so we have The Knot or Wedding Wire, mm -hmm. wedding shows. And what would be a third that should be on the checklist? I think on the checklist is you should be active on social media. Instagram is a big lead driver more than any other form of social media is driving like actual leads. Um, so, and that's something that really doesn't cost you much other than time, unless mm -hmm. you hire someone to do it for mm -hmm. you. But if you do have a super tight budget and you can't do the others, I think you should go all in on really learning and investing. If it's only in one form of social media, then that form of social media needs to be Instagram because that's where the couples are, are using for searching. Yeah, that's where they are right now. Yeah. And so with Instagram, do you find that there's certain content better than others? Yeah. I mean, I think you need to focus on both the feed and the stories. Oh, so, okay. you know, using the stories as behind the scenes and, you know, showing recent events, you know, your Instagram feed is really, it's important as to what that looks like from an aesthetic standpoint, that it's not, you know, one photo is dark and one photo is light. It's really about what does the overall feed look like? Um, is why a lot of times why people choose to follow or not follow you, but the stories is what they're going to watch. So I always say, don't put as much emphasis into the feed itself. I actually only post on ours three times a week because from a time management perspective, that's all I can do. handle, but mm -hmm. I make sure we story every day. That's great. And do you find that people want to see more pictures of the venue 
in like large photos, like perhaps the entire reception or the entire ceremony. Yeah, I think you need to do a mix of, I always recommend as somebody who worked as at a venue to do, most of my photos had people in them. Mm -hmm. So if I could have an empty room shot that has the couple in the middle of the empty room versus just it being a space. But I think it's important to uh, showcase your actual spaces, not as much focus on you know, a detail, like a cake or things, unless you, your venue provides the cake, but or the catering. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I think, you know, if you provide the food, yeah, showcase the food. But sometimes I see the venues get overly posting about details of the wedding, which are great for your story as to, you know, if you have a wedding on Saturday, showcase and tag every vendor that was a part of it. But I don't think that really belongs as much in the feed as, really showcasing your venue where they can take pictures because that's what they're concerned with when they're you know coming for a tour or booking a venue yeah I completely agree let me just derail things a little bit and um, you mentioned something about doing stories throughout the day as things are getting set up do you uh, we have a rule in our in our um, uh, wedding planning team we don't show the bride and we don't show the entire room or large installations before the guests walk in. So would the venue, if, if they have rules like that, do you just recommend take pictures and post them later after the guests walk in? That would be oh, good. yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be that day, which I know sounds silly, but, you know, sometimes on wedding day, the most I could actually get done was taking all the photos. Yeah. And it was okay for the next day when I was off and home on the couch to then post everything from the day before or take them because, you know, it's a little chaotic leading up to not chaotic, but it's really busy. There's a lot to do leading up to. So I always say like during dinner time when you've got a little bit, you know, as a venue manager, you maybe have a little bit more time to breathe you know, sharing and posting about it during dinner or during the reception portion at the end of the day, because you're still showing it the same day, but you're not kind of ruining the magic leading up to it. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to derail and pick up, pick that point. Cause... Yeah, no, that's a really Sorry. good point. I mean, I think that sometimes, um, you know, I understand the cake company who drops off the cake, takes the picture of the cake, and they're done. really for the day yeah so I totally understand people hitting off the details of the things that they've done but I do agree that the room reveal and things like that should really be um you know done with tact and that would probably be after the door is open and the guest and the couple has seen it all yeah I mean we we do very very little close-ups or soup or or close-ups that you cannot tell what's actually the big picture is if that makes sense so, yeah. sorry to derail things, but let's get back to inquiries. Okay. Yeah. So, we have, for venues, we have the knot or wedding wire. We have um, wedding shows that they should be doing. I think wedding shows are one of those things that work really, really well for venues, photographers, um, even florists. They don't work very well for the planning side. I don't know, it, just in my opinion, maybe some planners actually um, do find that helpful, but not for me. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think... Yeah, kind of, I didn't mean to interrupt, but kind of what we were talking about is that all of those things, you know, one of the things I find fascinating when I talk to clients in every industry is that some people love the knot and rave about the knot and other people do the same about wedding wire. People who've tried both 
one works, the other doesn't. They're really, you have to figure out what works for you and what works for your type of business because different marketing avenues have different brides and different grooms and different, you know, different price points and things like that. And I agree with you that from a venue standpoint, if you are not at wedding shows ever at any point during the year, every show I go to, it's at least 50% of the people I talk to don't have a venue. So the leads are the strongest there more than any other category. Especially early in the year, January yes. through March. The earlier in the year, the better. Yes. I completely agree. So we are active on social media and we are receiving inquiries. What is the next step, whether they come from an online, um, like the knot or a show or social, what is the next step after somebody says, hey, can I come for a tour? Or, hey, I'm interested in this venue. Yeah, most of the time I feel like people start with the, um, I want more information. You know, they're even when they like it and they see it, they're still hesitant to jump right into coming to see it because um, they want to at least make sure it's within kind of the budget range in their head um, of things like that. So I think you really have to work the inquiries different based upon where they come from. A wedding show inquiry that you've had a conversation with and that was really interested, that follow-up might go right to let's schedule a tour because you already knew they were interested. They've looked through the photos. You've talked the packages. Um, so it's a little bit different than, you know, the kind of lead that comes through, you know, your own website, however it is they found you, whether it's through Instagram or through, they click through from another um, site. So where the lead comes from, you need to figure out first and realize what's the system that works for that medium of it coming through. So online sources like The Knot and Wedding Wire, when the lead comes through those sites, I think it's important to remember that from a couple standpoint, it's almost like texting. Mm -hmm. They're using the app on their phone more than they're reading those in their email. And so it's really like short, sweet to the point of kind of back and forth conversations. And I always recommend no matter what the avenue you're using is, is to finish with a question, one question. Like I, in part of my, our sales training that we do, I get a lot of frustration because they're like, I just want to get the info from them. And I get that. But at the same time, that's not how they want to give the info. Like how many times have you emailed seven questions and they answered two yeah. or one of them? Mm -hmm. So when you see that happening over and over again, you realize that if you just kind of went one at a time, with the questions, you get more information to actually give them what they're looking for. And those online sources, that's that's the best return that I've seen are the companies that have kind of shifted the mindset to say, you know, when a couple says, I'm interested in pricing and package, wonderful, we'd love to give that to you. What's your guest count? Like, yeah. that's it. Send. Don't send them a list of 20 questions or don't just whip off the pricing. At least get enough information from them to be able to do it, um, whereas your website form might gather a little bit more of that info. So the conversations have to change in the emails and the messages you're sending based upon where, you know, where the lead is coming from, if that makes sense. And you said something about um, having all the information coming from the website form. Have you noticed that uh, cl um, potential clients now are calling you instead of... <laughs> Using the yeah. forms? <laughs> well, I think that it's, it's the shift has been amazing. I've been doing this about 15 years and it just keeps going back and forth and yes. back and forth because 
you know, well, I think the forms are too long. Yeah. On most. So I think the only information you really need, you got to limit down what do you actually have to know before you talk to them. And there was a great speaker at Wedding MBA last year, and I was in one of the venue classes. And what he said was they never ask for the date on the form for their venues. He owns like 22 venues or something crazy like that. They never ask for the wedding date because they find that couples will change the date if they fall in love with the venue. So they don't ask. So true. Whereas as a planner, if they've already picked the date and have a venue booked, you need to know the date. Oh my God. That was gold. That is gold. That is so true. We, I've, I've gotten so many calls for pe- for people who don't have a venue yet. And it's very hard because if you don't have a venue, I know you're going to change your date. Right. Yeah. I, and I, change your date, change your season. I've changed oh, yeah. people. Like I've worked leads that really needed a better price point, And I had like, this one hole, like nine months from now, like in this date, we had a cancellation or something and I was able to give them a better deal to fill the cancel. I've had them move up the wedding like 12 months because they wanted the better price. So, you know, when they come in the door, you know, at the end of the day, it isn't really about, okay, it's great to get a general idea, but you can ask that question in the conversations you're having instead of putting everything you want to know in the form. I agree. That's such a good point. That happened to me this year, actually. I got a client from Colorado, and they were wanting to move to get married in 2020, and then they found out there was a date available, and they moved it up a whole year. Yeah, because it's because sometimes they read articles online, uh-huh. or there's assumptions made of how long it takes to plan a wedding, whereas if you have a good team of vendors, and you hire a great planner... I mean, you and I both know it wouldn't be ideal, but we could pull it together in months if oh, we yeah. had to. <laughs> yeah, and we had plenty of time, but it's still, yeah. it, it, they will change the date for their venue. For sure. It's almost 80% of the time. If they, if they can, they will. Yeah, there's very rarely was there a specific reason, usually because it's a funky date, like 10, 10, 20, 20 has been sold out everywhere for like a long time. You know, if the pie day 3.14 or may the fifth be with you or yeah. one of those funky fun dates happen to fall on a weekend, you know, or there's someone military or doctor, or, you know, that has really specific requirements to be able to be there. But that's so few and far between with most couples. Yes, I agree. So, so don't ever email them as the venue and say your date's not available yes. ever. Nope. Like don't never. do that. Like stop asking what the date is until you actually have a conversation. I do you think they should have calendars online? I think no. it makes it easier for Well, uh, I think it depends on the venue. Okay. If you're a venue that only has one space, one ability, um but I think brides and grooms aren't always coming to you with the thought process of I'm willing to change my date. They come in thinking I want that date. And a lot of times when I would ask the question as part of that kind of tour and conversation process of why is that date important to you? Most of the time it had no significance. They just looked on the calendar and they picked a date. So if they had gone on my website and seen that that date was booked at my venue, I potentially never would have gotten the lead. Not even a tour. Yeah, they never would have even reached out to me in any way because they, in their head, the date was booked. But so, I mean, I know a lot of venues have them on their site and I think, I get it. I think it makes it easy, but I think you're potentially losing leads 
because they're coming with a date in their head and 90% of the time that was never the date they booked because yeah. it's always a Saturday in whatever is considered prime wedding season wherever in the country you are is when they want and then they realize they can't always afford that so they flip-flop yeah that is okay I know we're derailing but that is a That's good point because this is part of the inquiry part yeah they're looking at the website looking at the calendar if their date is booked you're not even getting that tour where you could be selling the Friday before or the Sunday yep. after their date and giving them a discount and having a, a, a sold out weekend. Right, right. But if you don't, but if you list it on your site, and I understand the ease of it, and I get it, it yes, feels like yes. you're providing information for the couples to not waste their time. But as the venue, you're losing the opportunity of being able to sell to them into a different time spot. Oh my gosh. What you just said was gold. I, I It's just, everybody does it, so you think that you have to do it, but it is about sales. Without the sales, you can't have a sold-out season. Right, and I mean, I worked at a venue that we had three venues on the same resort property that were, it was a 1,700-acre property. Everything was super far away, so I could literally run three weddings at the same time where no one ever saw each other, no, one, no bride was near each other, so I couldn't really ever put on the website which one was booked on which date. And then I realized that because I wanted to when I first started there, I was like, why don't we have this? And then I was like, oh, that's too confusing here because we have multiple locations. Yeah. And then I realized like, or if you're at a hotel and you have a group sales team selling, it's not just weddings selling at the hotel. So the hotel could be booked for other things, you know, and so that you can't sell a wedding, but it just, yeah. I mean, I would suggest not having it or removing it. I hate that Wedding Wire has it on the website because yeah. of a venue like mine where there was three I could do three weddings at the same time it was showing us as booked and I was like we are not booked <laughs> like we oh, were still open no. so yeah it was challenging so just to go even dig even deeper into this calendar thing because I think you this is this is so good because you're we're, we want to avoid losing inquiries by yeah. simply losing the opportunity of selling to them and simply them thinking that other dates are not available because they are. Let's be honest. I have so many weddings this year on Fridays. It's ridiculous. So yeah. one thing that could be done, because we do this with wedding pricing. We don't put our wedding pricing on our website. We have a private password protected link that we send to people who we have already met with and so if, I think that could be a solution for the calendar because a lot of times what happens to me is the client will say, hey, um, we're thinking maybe we should do a rehearsal dinner at the venue itself, especially if it's a destination they like to stay in all in the same place. Mm -hmm. So the, when the calendar comes in is somebody can go into the calendar and see if their day before is available to do a rehearsal dinner. So this could be solved by just having a password protected page where your calendar is housed for already signed contracts. Do you think that's a decent solution so they don't? Yeah, I think it'll work for some venues. I think it'll work for the like, I don't want to call it the one-off venue, but the venue that has one space to sell, sure. one option, one opportunity. Um, like I think that type of venue that would work for, but like the resort I was at, I was one of a sales team of 10. So I hate oh, wow. to say it was constantly a movie because we did golf tournaments and corp 
you know, corporate conferences and train. We did all this, all these different pieces of business. So um, for something that is definitely a smaller kind of like you, when we're booked, we're booked or like a photographer who doesn't have a team. I think that's a great concept of being able to kind of see you've had a conversation, you know, if their date is flexible, you know, what your availability looks like. Um, but yeah, I mean, but as a planner, if you can't do the rehearsal dinner at that venue or whatever, then maybe, oh, the other thing about rehearsal dinner, total side note, is that I maybe don't want to lose a wedding that I could book that far out to a rehearsal dinner. That's So true. I'm not sure, you know, we would go that route depending upon the type or the piece of business. And then it becomes one more thing I have to update. So I like the concept of it if but you got to really stay on top of it and make sure that like with every contract signed, you're pulling down the date and it gets touchy. I think sometimes when it's, you've got five people vying for the same date at the same time, which used to happen to me all the time. Oh, and then you're waiting to see who signs it first. Well, and it's really like, you know, we never held dates ever. It was against our policy. It was signed contract and deposit for in first. And not, and I'd hate to show somebody that that date is available when I know that there's already four people going after it. Oh. So I think it's it's I think it could work for a lot of other avenues that maybe potentially aren't as um, for other types of businesses in the wedding industry. I just think there's might be a lot of challenges from the venue side that operationally it could be more hassle than it's worth. Yeah. So no calendar on the website, period. Yeah, I think from a planner or like a photographer or a DJ, that I could understand. Yeah. Um, but I'm from a venue, I think there could be a lot of challenges with it. Again, we don't want to lose those inquiries no. ahead of time. It's not. It's not fun. Oh, that just hurt my heart when you said that. To think about all the people that just said, well, not going there. But there's so many other opportunities. Okay. So. They want to come see the place. They're interested. What is an, How do we get them to take a tour? Because that's what sells it. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, a lot of times people are hesitant to um, go from a lead. They want to at least get enough information. And as we know in today's world, including myself, I'm an offender. I don't always read. <laughs> so if you email over really detailed packages, like I went to a networker last week and I'm sure in the 17 emails they sent to follow up, they said that it was outside in Florida in spring and I didn't read it. And I definitely was a little bit warmly dressed thinking I'd be in air conditioning, but oh, no. we're all offenders, right? We don't always read. So um, one of the things that I always recommend with um, my clients is to, with my venue clients is to start the conversation by asking them to do like a five minute chat. So, um, I'm a huge fan of online booking of things of there being, you know, whether you use a site like Calendly or mm -hmm. Acuity or something like that, the ability for people to not have to talk to you and be able to book an appointment. All of those different sites will tie to your calendar. So it's not like they can book in a time when you're not listed as available. Um, but I highly suggest there being the opportunity to start with a quick five-minute chat. Because as a venue, 
you don't want to tour people if they don't have your budget. Like my venue, we did food, beverage, and venue. It was a resort. So, you know, I don't want to waste their time in coming out if I'm way over their budget. I mean, it wastes my time too. But at the end of the day, it's usually them who gets more pissed off than me for wasting my time. Yeah. Um, it's the the customer who, and not so much they get pissed off, but they get um deflated, like disappointed. Yeah. And I don't ever want to disappoint people. So we always started every conversation with a five minute chat. And it was a way for them to go online. They could book the appointment. We literally can run an entire quote and get as much info as we need in five minutes. Um, Because I just needed to be able to throw out numbers and make sure that you were comfortable with the numbers that we were talking about. And if you weren't comfortable with it, then, you know, we needed to make a shift or see if I could shift you to another date, another time. Um, but all of that was able, we put those links. So we had, you have a link when you set up the online booking and our link had both, um, online booking of a tour and five minute chats on there. So we put that link everywhere. It was in the signature of our emails. It was all over our website. It was on our social media. It was on our online listings that we paid for that. Everything was like either book a tour or let's chat. And the appointment ratio we got it like quadrupled as soon as we started doing that because they don't want to waste their time reading a lot of email either. So it allowed them to book and realize literally in five minutes, I mean, if we got close to the end, we'd be like, okay, we're almost there, but do you have three more minutes? <laughs> to get <laughs> But in five minutes, I could know enough about their wedding. Do they want to do plated or buffet? What do they want to do for a bar? You know, what's their overall budget and I, how many guests? And I could run the numbers fast enough to say, okay, we're going to be between 12,000 and 15,000. Is that a number you're comfortable with? And they were either like, yep, that's kind of what we thought, or you hear silence crickets, and I know they're freaking out. Sure. And it was like, okay, take a breath. (laughs) Are you willing to be flexible for a Friday, Sunday, and can I take some stuff out of the package to get you closer? And they'd be like, yeah. And I'd run some numbers and be like, okay, how about nine to 12,000? And they'd be like, yeah, that's better. So now I know, great. I know we can work within that budget. Why don't you come out for a tour? So in that super short phone appointment, it creates a level of comfort with them knowing that you're there to help them. And it also didn't waste your time. Now do people book tours on a website and they never do the five minute chat and they come out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it still happened. Yeah. But giving people the easiest accessibility to be able to book a tour on their own without having to talk to you. And there's no back and forth. Both of those sites, they allow for automatic like confirmations and follow-ups. Yes. I love Calendly. Oh my God. It like changes your whole life because you don't have to do 17 back and forths. You know, if they say, I want to come on a Saturday, well, great. You don't have to tell them no, because they would have looked at the link and realized that you don't tour on Saturday or you have a wedding that day and there's no tours. Mm -hmm. So they would know, and you know what the time slots are that you can do. Like you can preset it all up so that, I mean, I hired my virtual admin that way. I got like 20 referrals. I went on all their sites. Only two of them had the automatic schedulers. I scheduled times that worked for the next week. I didn't even talk to the rest because the rest of them, I would have had to reach out to them to schedule a time to talk. And so the faster and simpler and easier, if the goal is the tour, which is the goal, yes, get them to come and see it. You have to make the process in booking a tour so easy and simple and then in that email, like in that form on those sites, you can ask any question you want. 
you can ask, do you want buffet or plated or, you know, how many guests or do you want daytime, nighttime or what season? You can get really detailed on that form. Just don't do it on your web form. Oh, gold. You're amazing. This is so, this is so good, Shannon. Yeah, so, I mean, it really, every venue that I go into and try to convince them to do the online tour book, <laughs> it's always a fight and it's useful in the beginning. And I get it. You're giving up control of what you feel like is your calendar, but you're not realizing that you really are controlling it because you can set the days, the times, and the parameters. The whatever. Like, yeah, my venue was a little bit further out, so we never did after work tours. Because I know that the average couple isn't leaving work at 5 o'clock. They're working later than that. We were a 45-minute drive. And if it's winter time, by the time they get to my venue, it's going to be dark. And they can't really yeah. see it anyways. So yeah. we didn't. We never allowed after-hour tours, but we do tour every Saturday. So it was just you know, giving up that control because you feel like people will book a tour that are a waste of your time. It's going to happen. But at the end of the day the tour numbers went from like 20 a month to 45 a month because there was no chasing. You just, you subtly place that link everywhere. I mean, you still put it in your emails that follow up, yeah. but you subtly place the link everywhere and maybe they click it to book a tour and realize, Oh wait, I can do a quick five minute chat first. So I don't have to come there to see it all. And with, it's almost, um, uh, trusting. Mm-hmm. Because if I see that I can chat with you and ask you all those questions, I'm going to have anxiety to ask you, like, how much are things going to cost? Do you even have this available? Um, you know, so many questions that come with, with not knowing anything, especially when they're super, super naive right before they book the venue. They don't know anything. They know nothing. Nothing. They know <laughs> nothing. zero. So the anxiety is through the roof to have a five-minute chat that creates um comfort for me yeah it well you're building that relationship and rapport with people because you're really trying to actually help them by letting them know so it almost like takes down all the barriers and people can feel relaxed and we find that the tour close ratio is a lot higher the no-show ratio is a lot lower because mm. that five-minute chat you've built enough of a relationship where they like feel guilty to just no-show you yeah. know, like you've built enough rapport with them that they're like, okay, like I liked her and you've had the time to connect because it's so hard through email. You know, we all know that people who are master email marketers have figured out how to talk right to you in an email, but it's really hard for the general people in business to shine in our personalities and things through the emails that we're sending. And so... Now that you've you've chatted with them just a tad to get enough information and you've invited them to take a tour, they've scheduled a tour. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about them being on property. Yeah. This is the fun stuff. Like this oh is so important. Oh, so important. Um, I know. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first step is to be overly prepared. There's different personality types in the world. There are people who are super visual and like to see everything. So you should have an iPad locked, stocked, and loaded of every image categorized <laughs> by the different styles of what they're going to see. Like, you know, we had them not only by space, but by color. 
So if she, if I knew her colors were blush and gold, I had an entire folder of all of our blush weddings so that I could show pictures of examples. The visual person needs to see it, not just when they're there, but see it set up. Because when we toured on a Tuesday in the middle of the day, yeah. I was a golf resort. It wasn't set up for a wedding. Right. So they wanted to see, well, how does this set up? So you need to be overly prepared. You need to make sure you have the right marketing materials so that they have a takeaway of it's not just here's a bunch of info. Great. I'll follow up with the info. Like you need to have a nice printed brochure that shows the pictures, talks about the pricing that you talked about, um, the inclusions, so that they don't have to write a million things down. And you really want to be ready with whatever your note sheet is. We always clipboarded and had a sheet to make sure we were asking all of the questions in our sales process. Who is the decision maker? When are you trying to decide by? But we just had, you know, like a form with all these blank boxes that we filled out as we went to make sure we didn't miss anything because I knew my boss was going to ask me, when are they making a decision by? Because today's couple does not decide fast. They don't. They do not sign on the tour ever anymore. They used to all the time, but they don't do it anymore. And in your case, when you had, when being in a golf resort, what would happen would be you also have the sales in the corporate side trying to book those spaces. Yeah. So you almost have to compare which event to take first. Yep. Yeah. To look at which one was the better piece of business. The bonus is weddings tend to book a little bit further out than yes. most corporate That's business. Good. So <laughs> usually I won when it came to space Ooh. and it was a family owned property that believed if you book your wedding in a space, we never moved them. So I was super spoiled That's because so good. not every property looks at pieces of business like that, which is sad. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so you want to be overly prepared. And then I think it's all about making it an over-the-top experience for them. You know, you should have a parking spot marked with a sign or a welcome sign with their names on it when they come in. Um, you know, knowing every step of the way is about making it a good experience for them so that it's memorable and doing the things that other venues really aren't doing because then they realize you care enough on the tour that you're going to care that much about their wedding. So personalizing it the best you can. I started every tour with taking like five, 10 minutes, get them a drink, get them a water, get them a whatever. I mean, I live in Florida, so it's hot here. So sure. we always made sure before we started to actually tour, they had a bottle of water where we ordered like really cute koozies that were logoed koozies and um, had a cute saying on them and they could take it with them. But even if they said they didn't want water, I know they're going to want it at some point because our tour was like an hour. So I always made sure I had waters for them anyways. But we really took five, ten minutes so I could figure out what it is they actually wanted. Who was the decision maker? Like, you know, get a better feel for the couple. How did they meet? You know, how did he propose? And build a relationship with them. So I wasn't just kind of like a tour guide. It was really about their wedding and some things that they could do to personalize our space for their event. That's great. I love the idea of having all the iPads with all the different colors. Yes. Um, do, did you ever have a preferred vendor list or is that something that you would give them after they signed? Well, we did something a little different than most venues. I didn't have like a hard and fast preferred vendor list. I think most of every market is different, but our market, we're really spoiled with so many awesome vendors in every category that our business model was a really, um, we had a really extensive vendor list and we referred based upon the couple's personalities and what they wanted and prioritized oh. rather than here's a sheet of paper. Yeah. 
So if I know that photography is the most important thing to them and they don't really care about the cake, I'm going to send them a more budget-friendly cake vendor and a, probably a more expensive photographer. That's so good. It was so much extra work, but as <laughs> part of the sales process, you know, when we were walking and talking, getting to know what's important to them in their wedding, um, when I used to work for a caterer, if a couple said we don't care about the food at any point in our meeting, I'd be like, we should stop talking right now because we care about the food here. Mm-hmm. And we're going to cost more because we care about the food. Mm. So if I know that a couple's really, the photos are the most important thing to them, then I'm going to point out all the photo spots on the tour. But that was part of the kind of getting to know them at the start of the tour was really figuring out, you know, in terms of all these things, is it the party? Is it the food? Is it the experience? Is it your pictures afterwards? Yeah. What do you rank in terms of order of importance? And we referred based upon that ranking. Okay. So since you're talking about, since we're talking about referrals, I have to ask this because um, I think 50% of our listeners are planners. Oh yeah. You think it's more, but actually, yes, yes. So I don't, it's not what you think, but when did you notice that you needed to refer a planner? Um, We always started, so our venue didn't try to be the wedding planner, although we were family owned. And if a bride and groom did not hire a planner, the expectation was for you to step into that role because we're not going to let their wedding just crash and burn because they didn't (laughs) hire a planner. Right. But we know that our lives at the venue are a hundred times easier and it's way less work for us when there's a planner involved. So, Oh, this is gold. This is like you should be paying for this one, but I'll share it with you anyways. We had okay. a sheet of we had a sheet of paper in our tour book that said, This is the job description of a venue coordinator, and this is the job description of a wedding planner. Whoa. We had an actual sheet of paper in there saying because we wanted to set expectations early that this is not what we do. And it literally listed, like, from our venue coordinators, you can expect a tasting and floor plans. And we do help with things like linens and rentals. Yes. You know, but we don't create your timelines. I don't read your vendor contracts. So we had a, like, this is what we do and this is what we don't. And then we actually bribed our couples to hire a planner. (laughs) I love you. We, um, (laughs) you know, on the back of the sheet of paper, that was the job description. Like, this is who does what. On the back of the sheet of paper was a list of our, like, five to ten preferred wedding planners that we like to work with at the property. Uh Um, But we – it was not only if they hired them, but we would also approve other planners depending upon their level of experience and whatever. But we offered the couple either a discount off of the site rental, not huge, but enough. Um, Or we offered them complimentary upgrades, like we'd upgrade the honeymoon suite to a one-bedroom suite, or we'd throw in three extra hotel rooms if they um, hired an approved wedding planner. Okay, this, I have to ask you, because this is definitely not normal practice. I know it's not normal, but this must our whole life. Okay, yes, I want you to talk about that. I'm sorry, guys. I know we're talking about sales. This is part of the sales in the venue because yeah so this well, is the, the biggest challenge is we know when there's a planner our lives are easier so what what where we were stuck was even though we told them in the beginning we're not your wedding planner we recommend it, a minimum of day of blah 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 nobody was ever even contacting the planners so it was like well 
you know, and that, so this, our team was set up a little different. We had a sales team and court and in-house uh, catering manager. So sales team sold it and then they passed it to the venue manager. The venue manager was like, Oh God, please let there be a good planner. Cause I mean, I don't want to say they didn't have to do anything on wedding day, but it's way easier when there's a planner, they spend half the day in their office instead of running around playing wedding planner for the day. Sure. So we really worked all the way back in the process to say, where does it start and how do we do it better? And we realized that, if we could get our couples to start considering it from the beginning and to really the ones that you have that conversation with on the tour, you know that they're a couple who needs a planner and probably more for month, more than month of like they either need full service based upon what they do for a living or they're super busy or whatever. Like, how do we start recommending it? Harder. I mean, we were clear only 60% of our couples hire a planner, but those who do afterwards really are so glad they invested in it. Um, but we always recommended them from the very start of the process and letting couples know all the things that we don't do. I mean, again, if their wedding came, they hired no planner. We do all of it. We don't really right. have a choice because right. I'm not going to let your rehearsals take three hours long because you don't know what you're doing. We're going to step out and help you do it. But if but, there's a planner, you could right. probably on that day do a couple tours sell more and so that yes. justifies the discount yes my so understanding that business like, practice right yeah it was really like teaching the couples that like this is because if the venue doesn't believe in a planner and again half the planners in my local area are awful and i'm sure that oh. is in every single city and state in the country half the planners I wouldn't say are like professional who do a really good job. So I understand from a venue perspective, them pushing the idea of a planner. Sometimes it causes more work than less work, sure. but this was the way where we could push our preferred planners. We contacted all of our preferred planners and told them we were doing this and said that we would offer an incentive if they hired you after they hired us. And then all of our preferred planners were super smart because they offered an extra incentive on their side. Oh, look at that. So those planners said, well, if you get referred to us, if, you know, if the couple would call and say, we're thinking about booking or we booked it such and such and we, we want to find out more about what you do, they were like, oh, we love working there. This is what we offer for those couples. And it wasn't ever a discount. It was usually like an upgraded service right. that they would help them do, you know, or something a little bit extra mm -hmm. to kind of keep the relationship. So then the couples are like, oh, God, we love that venue. This planner gives us something extra for it. Wow. That... And it, we went from 20 to 25% of weddings hiring a planner to like 60%. Holy crap. And so it with that, huge. tell me about the numbers. How was your numbers affected as far as sales? I mean, from a sales perspective, well, our team was set up a little bit different because like I said, one team sold and one team serviced. So I could have a person selling, but from the type of venue where you have one person, Jack of all things, trying to do all things, okay. I, I know that we used to hear couples really struggle to get tours on Saturdays, obviously. So because you know, the venues have a wedding going on, but there's no reason why they can't tour up until like one, two o'clock in the right. morning, but obviously they can't do that if they have to be there running around taking care of bride and catching all the vendors and all of that stuff. So a hundred percent sales would go up because you have like an extra team member, you know, one of your preferred planners, it's like you have an extra person on your team so they can focus on the couple while you can focus on working your leads and doing tours and creating new business. Holy crap. I, I know this I, is very one-sided because it's clearly I'm a planner myself, but yeah. I, 
this is the first time I've heard of this and it's genius. Well, in every venue that I recommend that sheet that I show that sheet of paper to that says this is what we do versus this is what a planner do, every single venue goes nuts over it. And they're like, oh my God, why don't we have this? But you have to plant the seed from the tour. Right. You can't try to let them book and then be, yeah, because that's what we were doing and we were failing. Yep. We weren't really talking about it on the front side because we didn't want to, we were afraid to scare away couples. Uh-huh. Um, but we didn't require or include a planner, but we just highly recommended it. And we talked about on the tour when they were like, oh, well, what about this? We'd be like, that would be a perfect task that your month of wedding coordinator would do. And they were like, oh, instead of us saying we don't do that. Right, 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 right. We would say that would be one of the things your month of coordinator would take care of for you. And they were like, oh, I get it. Uh, client education and setting expectations is my jam. Well, and it's planner education teaching the venues how to do it because a lot of the venues don't know how to refer a planner. Mm. Like, they don't know how. So it's like teach your venues some of the things they can do and the tips they can do to make those things happen. That's perfect. So perfect. So now that we've given them a tour, set expectations, made them feel special, um, making sure we got them some drinks perhaps, even some treats have all the information pictures samples all the questions that they can ask have all those answers prepared over prepare basically what you said yeah after the tour what's the next step i think you need to always make sure that the end of the tour um you're having that conversation so one of my best tips that i teach in sales training is um one of the things i used to like to do and it's uncomfortable the first time you do it and then they respond and you realize oh god this works but one of the things I used to say is on a scale of one to ten one being this venue is off the list you're definitely not interested because you've seen something else you really like or is a better fit and ten you're ready to book today where are you guys at by doing on a scale of one to ten I could tell anybody under a six they were never going to book Okay. So I knew how hard and how much I needed to follow up with them. Mm-hmm. But if it was like a seven, an eight, a nine, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. What, you know, what is it going to take to get you from an eight to a 10? And in they answer. Nobody ever not answers the question. They'll always give you a number. And sometimes if it's there's two or three people there, they look at each other and the numbers are close to each other. But um but by knowing where they stand and asking what what is it going to take to get from an 8 to a 10, they'll tell me if, A, I missed something in the tour, like I didn't hit a hot button for them or I didn't find their pain right, or it's something like my mom has to come see it. So now I know my next step is scheduling the tour with mom. Uh-huh. But they always tell me what is, you know, and if they're like, oh, we're like a five, I'm like, okay, great. Well, I'll send you all the info. I'll send you the proposal. Let me know you got it. And let's touch base. But I don't chase them because a five isn't that interested. Okay. So anything a six and up to me was like, you know, I I can get them there. Maybe I have a good chance of at least getting them there. But how, you know, when I go in and do trainings at venues, a lot of times when they don't ask the question, the venue person will finish the tour and I'll say, okay, what did you think? And they'll be like, they're definitely going to book. And I'd be like, there's no way they're going to book. And I'll tell you five reasons why and go through it. And I'm always right. Oh no. I can read it differently as a consultant looking at it than you are when you're in it. So by asking that scale of one to 10 question, you really know if they're getting close to a contract 
Um, I mean, if your venue has a standardized contract, you can put it in the folder, like in whatever you're giving them. Mm-hmm. I don't usually believe in that because it doesn't have dates and things like that. I want them to read the terms when they're ready to sign. Sure. I also think this generation doesn't really respond well to the the sales push. Nope. So by shoving a contract in their face, it's like you're making assumptions that they haven't said they're ready for. Yep. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it, but I know people who do. Okay. Because um, maybe it's part of the proposal that goes with them. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, ABC from the sales perspective has always stand stood for always be closing. And I think instead of always be trying to close the deal, now it needs to always be closing on the next step of the process. So you want to set really clear expectations of what they can expect now that they've completed the tour. Mm-hmm. I always gave them numbers and we did the math on the tour, but I would tell them that we'll follow up this email with a formal proposal just so you have everything in writing. The date isn't booked. Nothing is booked until we move forward with, you know, contract and deposit. But I want you to have all the info. And a lot of times the email goes to spam because it's an attachment. So please, even if you just respond back and say, I got it at least just write me back so I know that you you got the proposal itself. Okay. And by doing that, it's like getting them to agree that they're going to respond. Oh, and so okay. when I sent the proposal or I sent my follow-up email, the other big thing I always followed up with after a tour was some vendor recommendations. So if I knew photographer was really their next most important item, I would send them three or four that I think would be a good personality fit within kind of the budget range-ish of, you know, how important it was to them, because I hope that they'll call and email those photographers, say that my venue referred them, because all of those photographers will then rave about us as a vendor. Interesting. So, Shannon, okay, so do you ask for the scale of one to 10 in person or over email? In person. No, in person at the end of the tour. Yeah, you do it right at the end of the tour is kind of like the last before you go, you know, listen, we would love to host your wedding here. I think it's a great fit based upon the pricing we talked about and what you guys are looking for. So on a scale of one to 10, one being this is off your list and you're not interested, 10 being you want me to hand you a contract right now, you know, where are you guys at? And sometimes people would say 10 and I was like, oh God, I didn't think they were there, but all right, let's do it. Let's do it. So, okay. So Following that scale, yeah, you follow, You let them know you're going to send them a proposal and a contract and to let you to just respond to it. Yeah, respond back and let me know. Now, if they've said they're ready for the contract, our contracts, we had these like five or six questions they had to answer so I could like prepare it and merge it all because hotels use Delphi and this whole mm-hmm. complicated merging system. Yeah. So, but if they said this is, you know, no, we're like a nine or an eight, I'd be like, okay, well, before, when we get to the point where you're ready for a contract, there'll be a few questions I need answered. Is it okay for me to send you those with the proposal? And they'd say, yeah. And so I've already kind of assumed we're going to a contract. That's awesome. But I haven't sent them a contract. Right. So, but it's always being really clear as to what the next step. And so if I'm going to follow up and send you an email that has, you know, a proposal attached, how long do you guys need to kind of review it before I should touch in touch base for questions? And they do, they look at each other and be like, I don't know, we're meeting with our parents next weekend. Give us like a week. And I'd be like, great. So I'll touch base, set, at least reply back. Let me know you got it. And then I'll let you guys just digest it. And should I call, email, text? How should I follow up with you in the week? 
And they'd be like, oh, send us a text or give me a call. So, like, it's like they're giving you permission to follow up. Right. Right. It's on their, it's on their terms rather than Yeah, yours. and then they, then they answer or they text back or they email back because they've more or less asked you to do it. And, you know, you just kind of keep touching base with questions or if you have a cool and then you just got to keep following up until they're ready. Like I said, today's couple, if you've asked the right question on the tour in a meeting and said, when are you guys looking to make a decision by, they'll almost always tell you like that. You just have to remember to ask the question. They say, oh, well, we're touring five more venues this week. And you're thinking, oh, God. All right. Great. <laughs> You know, but yeah. now you know that this week you've got to really make sure you stand out because they're still looking. That's great. And so after they receive their the contract and then they sign it, and what happens there? Um, you know, I think it's really clear expectations always as to what's the next step. So at our venue, we sent them a timeline as to what they could expect that in our world, their event coordinator, because it's a different person, mm -hmm. would reach out to them and schedule a time to meet with them either on the phone or in person. And then, you know, that they connect with that person and that's your person all the way up until the wedding. And then you so you have access to that person, email, phone call, meetings, whatever, Here's when to expect your tasting. Here's when to expect to talk about each of these things. And in the initial meeting, we'll go over some extra vendor recommendations. And so they've booked and it's setting really clear expectations all the way through as to what the timeline they can expect so that they're never like, well, when's my tasting? Or when do I come for this? Or when, when am I allowed to email you? Mm -hmm. um, so we set clear expectations um our venue we didn't really do like booking gifts i know a lot of people do that and send like a yeah you've signed your contract um like booking gift but it's not something we did what we had was when they met with their coordinator our venue gave them we called them like a venue swag bag where all of our preferred vendors had an opportunity to put little treats and surprises in the bag oh wow so we would give them like, so that was kind of their booking gift, but it like, it couldn't be like a postcard. Like it had to be something. So like the cake company would give like a coupon for a free dozen cupcakes or, um, and it couldn't be like a percent off, you know, but most of the time it was some kind of cute promo-y item that they put their logo on and attach their info to it. And not every vendor participated, but the brides got really excited when they got the bag and then they'd go through all the stuff and see what all the cool stuff was they got. And then they'd reach out to those vendors. That's great. That's such a great idea. I, I'm so glad that you that we had to break this up down to sales because we've actually successfully gone from generating inquiries all the way down to actually contracting oh, a client. You're good. You're good. So. Oh, sorry. I don't even know what that is ringing on my side. I don't even know what that is. I, I have nothing ringing on my side of the world. Really? That's so funny. Oh, sorry about that. That's okay. It's okay. No worries. We're going to ignore it. Okay. okay. It's Shannon. almost done. Oh, it is? There okay. we go. Okay, good. Yay. <laughs> sorry about that. It's okay. You know what? I'm like, my dog is on my lap right now. So life is life. Um, life is life, right? Yeah. So we've gone from generating inquiries all the way to contracting and even passing them on to their coordinator and setting expectations after their contracts. So yeah. I can, I think everybody can agree that 
you are such a key person to bring into any venue or wedding business. So I think I would really appreciate it if you could share how can people get a hold of you to work with you? Do you only work in Florida or will you travel? No, I mean, I definitely work anywhere and a lot of things can be done remote. So I can travel, but a lot of the things I've done, like trainings, um, like this week, one of the big national golf um, golf course and golf venue companies, I'm doing a training for their team. Um, we're doing like a national sales training, but we're doing it all through Zoom. So, oh, wow. um, so yeah, there's lots of different ways that we can work together. I do every Monday morning on my Facebook page, which is Wedgecation by ST. Um, I go on Facebook Live every morning and share every Monday morning, sorry, and share some kind of hot topic of the week. Like this week, we talked about swag bag, like swag items and things like that. So I always share things on there, but you can always reach me if you go to weddingvenuemap.com. Everything reaches me through that. And yeah, coaching or training, or if you have questions or um, speaking at any local events and things like that, I'm always happy to share and get really excited to help vendors grow their business from the business side um, in putting clients first. Well, Shannon, this has been another great session with you. I am so thankful again to that you took time off of your day to spend time with me over Skype and with all of us at the Planner and Training Podcast. And I hope to talk to you soon. Yes, I'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.